Hello, and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. Each week, we're talking to happiness experts, celebrities, and ordinary people to uncover their secrets to living a good life. My name is Kate DeBrito. I'm your host and guide on this journey into happiness. Let's begin. Robin Miller is a bit of a saviour for a lot of women, especially as we approach this busy time of the year, Christmas. She's a paediatrician as well as a wife and mum, and she's created the Mental Load Project, which aims to help women divide the household responsibilities with their partners so they can get out from under the heavy burden of a full mental load, and in doing so, live more fulfilling and happier lives, both in and out of the home. Hello, Robin. How are you? Good. Thank you, Kate. How are you? Really well. Where have we found you? You said you're not at home tonight. No, I'm at Kingscliff, which is not my usual place of abode, but I'm just away for work. So you have found me in a hotel room all by myself, which is lovely. Well, I'm so sorry to be interrupting your time in a hotel room all by yourself, because when I'm in a hotel room all by myself, it's just on the bed, in the bathrobe, little bit of room service and just TV on. I don't know about you. I have not put the bathrobe on yet. So you've um, caught me still clothed and ready to chat about the mental load. Well, look, Dr. Robin, you must be a very popular person. Robin Miller, I should introduce you properly, although people will have heard the introduction, because you are literally helping to unburden Australian women who are weighed down by the mental load. Now, you started up the mental load project. You're a doctor and you're a wife and a mother yourself, and you did it to help men and women recognise and rebalance the invisible labour of running a household. Now, it, it is a bit of a catchphrase these days, so I'm wondering, could you actually tell people what is the mental load and why did you start the project? So the mental load is really everything that goes on behind the scenes that goes into making things run smoothly for those around you. And so the mental load exists in all spheres of our lives, you know, at work, who's organising the Christmas party, but it's also at home and just who's remembered to buy toilet paper when you're running out. And it's a type of thing that you just kind of don't notice usually until children come along. Because when you're just sort of irresponsible for yourself and you don't have dependents who can't think about those things for themselves, then you don't sort of notice the burden of it. But the time that I find that women especially start to notice it and notice it as a burden is after they have children especially because they start to realise that they are the ones who are always thinking ahead to get all of those things organised so that the household runs smoothly. And it's not really recognised the load and the burden that this is and that these things don't just happen automatically and that they don't just happen by themselves they actually take time and they take a lot of headspace and so I set up the mental load project really to try and recognize and provide a way that we can talk about what that is but also provide a way that we can try and balance that because on top of everything it's just not fair if it's not equally shared because it impacts ourselves in terms of as women if you're carrying the mental load like you know everything down to how well you can sleep but also it impacts how well you can function at work, sort of the 
capacity you have in terms of energy levels, headspace to do things that you enjoy, whether that's for pleasure or for work. And so it really is not equally fed and we don't have the same equal opportunities as our male partners when we are carrying the mental load to just do those extra things and have that energy and, and brain capacity to do the things outside the home that we would also like to do. Why do women still carry that lion's share of the jobs around the house? Is it just a hangover from the past? I think it's definitely a hangover in a way that it's a hangover of adopting and carrying out habits that we have just seen um, and grown up with. And so... The evidence, whilst I said, you know, it's something that you usually notice after children come on the scene, the evidence is actually that the mental load is in unequally shared from the moment a man and woman start living together. And you can think in your own life perhaps of, you know, the wedding invitation you received when you were just a couple and who thought about what the dress code is and who RSVP'd and who thought about getting the present and all of that sort of extra sort of emotional labor and invisible labor that goes into those sort of things. And it's really that women from growing up from a young age, we've been socially conditioned to think of that. And it's not that there's any biological reason why we are better mm. at it, but we've just been socially conditioned to think of it ahead of our partners, ahead of you know boys as they're growing up. And so we sort of naturally take it on. And then it's not until it becomes sort of this burden and we realise that this isn't fair and this is affecting us in the way that we can live our lives and our relationships and our families that it becomes a problem. So I think it's there from a very early age in these habits that we form, but it's at a later stage of life that you sort of realise it as a burden and a problem. Have you discovered do men have a mental load? And if so, what does that look like? Definitely. I think that, you know, nothing in life is, a, you know, 100%, 0% black and white. So in most relationships, sort of the mental load is not 100%, 0%. It's more just unfairly shared. And so often the mental load that a man might carry around the house, for example, might be more episodic things as opposed to daily things, you know, taking the bin out once a week or mowing the grass every fortnight. And so it's, there's a difference when you're doing something and, and, and it's the same mental load, you know, you have to notice that the grass is long, you have to make sure that there's petrol in the mower or that you've charged the battery and then actually go and do the job. But it's a mental load, that preparation work beforehand that is probably carried often by men, but it's an episodic mm. task. It's not the same as getting a meal on the table. I think my husband feels the mental load when it's my birthday because he has to think of some good ideas for presents and he has to think of somewhere nice to go. But on the other hand, I, I still think I carry a bit of a mental load there as well because I want to make sure it turns out all right as well. So that's kind of weird. Well, look, we'll get to some of the strategies in a minute, but what are some of the biggest obstacles to women in sharing the mental load? The biggest one I see is really that it's just so deeply ingrained as a habit and also as a habit that is subconscious. So it's that fact that you're kind of noticing things even before your partner is. And so it's that, oh, well, it's just easier if I do it because otherwise I just have to ask. And, you know, if I'm asking, then I'm already still carrying the mental load, so I may as well just do it myself. You kind of end up in these these cycles. 
And so that habitual subconscious habits, I think, is the biggest barrier. I think there's also then potentially, you know, a process that has to be, go through to give up those habits and allow someone else to to form new habits for themselves too, to really share them into load. And so there's sort of a, a two-way street there. And I think the other barrier is sort of that the expectations fall on women. So even if you feel that, yeah, you'd like everything to be fair and you'd like it to be fair, the fact that women are judged more um, if the house is untidy or women are the first to be called when a child's sick from childcare or, you know, you're the one who is expected to have organised a present for the other kid's party or whatever it is, you know, you feel that it reflects on you. And that, again, is something that we've been societally conditioned and trained to, to think. When they have actually done studies looking at, you know, do women and men perceive cleanliness of a household differently? There's actually no difference. But what is different is how much, and this comes from women and men, how much we judge a woman or a man based on what that is. And so it's a judgment and the expectations that I think at a broader societal level are also make it difficult to shift the mental load because there's that sense of guilt or responsibility and what will happen if these things aren't done. You sort of talked about them seeing housework, men and women seeing housework the same way. I wondered, are men, is it because men are, are generally resistant or are they just blind to these jobs? No, I don't think it's blind or resistance. I think it's just not having had the need or the expectation previously to notice it. And so it's just a habitual thing of women habitually, you know, will be like, oh, well, I'll go and pick up that sock on the way to the laundry because I'm already going there. Whereas boys and men growing up haven't seen their mothers do that that and they haven't noticed their fathers doing it. And so it's just this way that we've been trained habitually. And then it's perpetuated in kind of the, conversations that you have and so you know if you're speaking with your other our friends who are mums about you know healthy toddler meals or about adjusting to high school or preparing for the kids school camp or whatever it is then you're sort of having that on your mental load you're having those discussions you're being reminded about that and Men, on the other hand, often aren't having those discussions and, you know, healthy food for lunch boxes aren't coming up on their social media feeds. Like what's coming up on the, their social media feeds is sport or whatever other interests they have. So it's all these sort of extra things that are fed to us that make it mean that it's on our mental load more and, and reinforce those habits. I had a discussion with someone and we, you just mentioned it before about whether there was a mental load before children. And, and I take your point that when you first move into a relationship, a man and a woman, that a woman might take a share of the the mental load, but it really does kind of, you know, go up quite significantly after you've had children, haven't you? I think a lot of women feel a bit of shock around that. Are you? Do you find that women, especially young women, who I guess come into relationships thinking it's going to be all equal, are they still surprised that this has happened, that they found themselves in this situation? Yes, definitely, because what we're sort of, sold like growing up you know is well you, women girls can do anything that was a campaign you know when I was growing up girls can do anything you can be anything and then you realize well you you can but 
the expectations change significantly once you have children. And so you can't actually perform at the same level, say, in a work context as male colleagues when you uh, don't have the same capacity to have a single flow of thought because of the mental load. That really, for me, was the driver to try and look into the mental load because um, my husband and I, you know, are both medical doctors, had both graduated from high school and, and university at the same time. So everything had seemed really equal up until the point that really I tried to go back to work after having our daughter after maternity leave. And that's when I realised, well, this isn't fair if I have got all these extra things to think about. And so often that period of parental leave has been another time when there has been sort of a dramatic shift in, in carrying the mental load. And then if you've been the one at home with the, the new baby, you're just so much more adapt mm-hmm. to thinking of all those things. So even on a weekend when you're going out together, you're the one thinking of what needs to go in the bag and all of those things, which just means that it's not, it continues to not be equal beyond there. So I, I imagine that this level of not sharing or, or one person carrying the mental load has will affect the quality of a relationship as well. Definitely. And I think that that is often the time when people like in couples will come to me because they're like, we're not happy, this isn't working, but we don't know how to, to fix it. And so the other thing I'd say about the mental load is it takes up all of that extra time and, and brain space. But on top of that, you end up feeling frustrated and resentful if you're the one carrying the mental load and your partner is kind of left wondering, well, what's wrong? Like, I feel like I'm, you know, trying to do, I'm doing what you ask me to and the person carrying the mental load is, but I shouldn't have to ask you to do it. So you end up in these sort of arguments where you both feel like the other one should be doing more and one feels like they're doing everything that they've been asked mm. to. And so with that, it really does affect the the quality of the relationship and also because of those extra emotions there, it's extra, actually more exhausting because of the kind of emotional burden of feeling resentful and frustrated and like you just can't get things working in the same way as you'd like. It's pretty draining, isn't it? Anyone who's ever felt resentment, and I'm sure mm. everyone has at some point, knows that it's actually sometimes just a really awful feeling that can drain your energy far more than, like you said earlier, just doing it yourself. I imagine it also has the capacity to affect, you know, the way you show up in the household. We all want to be present for our kids. We want to be present for our loved one. But if you're constantly having to think about all of these other things, I guess it can take you away from that feeling of being right there with your family. Yes. And what I say about the mental load is it doesn't have boundaries. So it doesn't sort of respect, you know, a clock on, a clock off kind of way in the same way as paid employment does. And so you can be doing anything at home with your kids or out and about and those thoughts come into your mind or the messages pop up on your phone or whatever it is that that comes in from the mental load. And so it really yeah, it doesn't observe any boundaries of time or place and does uh, affect those relationships uh, within your family and externally. The other thing is that if we as our generation don't learn to share the mental load, we're perpetuating those habits that we've formed to the next, passing them on to the next generation. And so our children will observe the fact that, oh, mums think about those things and not dads, and then that just gets passed on 
and they internalize that and form those subconscious habits themselves. So that would be the other reason I think that it's important in terms of being able to just spend that quality time and have an uninterrupted period of time with your children. But it's also important to set those new habits and patterns of sharing the load within a family so that our children will just accept that as the norm and have those patterns as the patterns that they take forward. It's a pretty dismal sort of outlook, isn't it? And I remember looking at my mum and my stepmom and thinking, oh, I would never do any of that. And of course, there's so many of those things that I have done in our household. So it is definitely something that can be easily perpetuated. Let's talk strategies, Robin. To start off, what doesn't work? What doesn't work, I would say, is what usually happens, which is you kind of carry the mental load and then all of a sudden you just get fed up. You're like, why aren't you doing this? Why don't you see that? And you sort of have this argument at the point when you are fed up and not really able to best communicate what the problem is. And then there might be a a discussion, okay, well, I'll try better, or you both, okay, we'll try better. And then because these habits are so deeply ingrained, you know, a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, you're back in the same habits and you kind of like, oh, I'll just, you know, keep going and because you can manage. You know, I think anyone who's carried the mental load for a number of years carries it very effectively. You know, it's a burden, but you carry it really, really well. And so as part of that, you try and organize yourself better. And, you, you know, what we're sold as sort of women trying to balance families and careers is, you know, if you can just meal prep more or set up all your payments automatically or whatever it is, you'll be able to, life will be more efficient, you'll be able to manage. And so you try all of those targets. But actually, as you get more organized, you actually take on more of the mental load because you sort of remove your partner from any of the extra thought process there and you're, you set up the system so that they're not involved at all. And so, you know, a few weeks later, you're back in the same mm. position of reaching this kind of boiling over point, but not actually having a strategy or a time and place to sit down and actually set new new habits and new patterns of behaviour. So what are the most effective ways to share the mental load? So one of my biggest catchphrases at the Mental Load Project is divide, not delegate. And so, so often when we try and share the mental load, we delegate and we say, okay, we've got you know, so-and-so's party coming up, can you go get the present? Or we've got Christmas coming up, can you organise X, Y, or Z? But you're sort of delegating partial components but still being the project manager and the overall kind of executive coordinator and the other person is left just with these bits but without really the mental load to carry, just specific tasks. So what you want to do is really divide whole tasks and so someone is responsible for the entire activity and I'm not saying someone's entirely responsible for Christmas I'm saying that someone's entirely responsible for and in seeing something through from thinking about it to the end and actually doing it and so if that's you know preparing meals during the week then that means knowing what's in the fridge planning the shopping list having those items available and then cooking the meal or if that is, you know, doing the washing, 
then it's remembering when the sheets you know were last washed and when they need to be washed again and making sure that there's detergent to be washed and actually doing the washing and bringing in them putting back on the, the beds or folding them up and so if you can even divide a, a couple of whole activities and pass on that overall responsibility to your partner then that will start to create these new habits where they are now entirely responsible for that and are not just relying on you for the prompting or the initiation of each thing and so that then the next step is really allowing yourself the time and and, and space to step back and not sort of gatekeep and that's the other thing that I think is really hard and there's a lot of resistance against because of that kind of expectations um, that I was talking about you know if we feel like we're ultimately responsible for these things it's really hard to step back and think okay well you know my child might end up with no no lunch at school today but that's you know <laughs> so it's hard to step back when we have done this job so well for so long but until we really divide whole tasks and give whole activities and responsibilities away we're not going to shift the mental load we're just going to get help with the actual physical load of doing things but we're not going to shift the mental load yeah and I think that it's I I take your point about that about women still being in control so they're still the CEO so to speak you know they still have to make sure that Mm. everyone's doing their job and that carries the same sort of stresses I spoke to a woman Mm. um, yesterday um, an executive woman and she said that uh, you know that's what she's tried to do is make it 50 50 or she and her husband have tried to divide the the jobs she said I don't like doing laundry at all so he's taken on that job he's been doing it for many Mm. many years I said is he really awesome at it? She said, no, he's not, not at all. But she said sometimes things are rolled up and sometimes they're folded in a really unusual way. But the fact is that that's his job and he does that job and it's not her job and that's that makes all the difference. Exactly. And you can set come to like a mutual agreement of what the kind of standard expected it will be and then beyond that, let the other person do it their way. And so let them work out whatever way they're going to do it and however they may decide to do it. And so have a, you know, if minimum expected kind of standard of, okay, well, if you're responsible for dinner, we're not going to eat takeout every night. But it doesn't have to be we're going to, you know, make sure we have four vegetables in every meal. Like it, you, there's only so much that, that you can control um, with uh, and still you know, give away the mental load. So set those sort of expectations, agree on them, and then from there go forth and you'll find you're so much happier just from not carrying it. And even if the shirt's rolled up or whatever, and then the fact that you haven't had to do anything to have it like that and have clean clothes in the wardrobe is, is, you know, so much lighter in terms of a, a burden that you'll appreciate that. Now, if people go to the Mental Load Project, and I'll put the the information in the show notes, you've got a template that people can download. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so there's a couple of resources there. The template is an Excel spreadsheet, which uh, allows you to do a really quick stock take of the mental load in your family. And so you can just put your name and your partner's name through all the items, and then you'll see a division of how much each person is carrying in terms of the mental load and also how much of that is uh, carried divided on category so 
Like it's one person doing all the child-related things while the other person is responsible for the garden, for example, and also the frequency. So, you know, it might be that it's like pretty much 50-50 shared, but if it's 50% of the things that are done every day and the other 50% is the things that are done twice a year, then you'll see that come up on the spreadsheet too. So it just gives you a few targets to kind of then discuss and work towards a way to make it more balanced. And do you ever find, do women talk to you, um, you know, about the fact that they've done all this, they've they've gone to their husband and that they're still, they're getting resistance? Or do you think there's usually um, a good response from, from hubbies or partners? So... I, I guess the way I think of it is that each person and each couple probably requires different levels of um, support. And so I have had people who have come to me and said, once I heard divide, not delegate, that changed everything. And that, you know, just that idea and that concept was enough. And I've had other people who've gone through the spreadsheet and for them that's been that kind of, clear illustration of of where they are and then a way to work forward to make things more even and then the kind of extra support that um, some people need and I think that this is when those habits are so deeply ingrained is the sort of one-on-one or group coaching that I do and in that situation it's really women who have tried everything and people will say to me look I've tried everything and I've, I've still not managed to get to this situation and usually their partners are sort of on board in that they say look yeah this isn't working you know neither of us are happy Um, and they're very on board with getting that extra support and at that point it's really about trying to look at psychological strategies to undo those habits that we formed for so long and so I really go back about I when I take people through the program, I say, look, we're going back 10 steps and you feel like you should be here and everyone feels like they should just be able to sit down at the kitchen table and say, okay, you do this, I do this, and then it's done. But that just completely uh, ignores the fact that we have had years of conditioning and years of practice carrying the mental load. And so sometimes it takes some deeper thought work to really get our heads around how to change these patterns and then a process of a number of weeks to change our patterns and allow space for our partners to then change theirs and then that has been kind of the the support required to make that shift. Robin let's talk the big one Christmas it's coming up (laughs) have you got some specific resources that you're going to put up to show people how they can work through the mental load for Christmas? I have been thinking that I should create the same template but just Christmas specific because I think that it is something that's really big and so I will try and do that and have it up on the website because similarly the whole idea is divide not Mm -hmm. delegate and the idea with having something like the template is you would then be able to say okay these are all the things that we have to do and the template just gives you a bit of I guess inspiration and ideas of, of what is generally involved and that's the same as the template for like everyday life the one that's on the website now is you can just go and change that and delete things if they're not applicable to your situation or add in things that are but you've kind of got it as a bit of a starting point and similarly the Christmas one it would uh, is an idea of trying to think about everything that's required and then dividing it and really dividing it sooner rather than later because 
again, <laughs> the typical pattern, and this has been, I guess, the fourth or fifth Christmas, I guess, that I've been working at the Mental Load Project, probably the fifth now, um, that the typical pattern is, again, as women, we're thought to think ahead of it now, you know, you're starting to think about well, what's going to happen, what travel do I need to organise, what presents, what ideas for presents. And so you sort of start taking all these steps. It's all on your mental load. And then it's about three days before Christmas and you're just fed up that you've done it all and that, you know, you might have just asked for one present to be bought and it's not bought or it's not wrapped or whatever it is. And then there's sort of that boil over point again. So trying to take a stock take now and divide up now to give yourself the the space but also to allow your partner then the time to do things their way and their way may be you know that everyone in their family gets you know a gift voucher or whatever it might be but if you set aside like the idea now of okay for this Christmas I'm going to buy the things for my side of the family and you will be responsible for the things for your side of the family and know that that will be that and that you won't have any more input than that that idea of stepping back will allow them the time to think about it and again if they get to Christmas Eve and they're running around madly then again try to just step back and allow that space and time for them to learn these new habits too and what you'll probably find is this year might be a bit messy but next year will be smoother and the year after that will be even smoother and so the mental load and shifting the mental load from the habitual point of view for things that are happening frequently like say the laundry it can happen really quickly because you're both forming new habits within a few days two weeks but things that are happening only infrequently like starting a new school year or Christmas then it won't necessarily run as smoothly as it would have the first year that you try to shift the mental load because you've had decades of experience <laughs> carrying them into load. And so you can't expect that your partner will be doing as good a job as you've done when you've had so much experience and so much practice. And I would say the same thing is about parenting and all the parenting decisions we make. You know, we can be really resistant to letting go of some of that control, but really we made all those mistakes and we learned, you know, just by trial and error when we had little babies too. And so knowing that, you know, if you've got a new baby at home, your partner can take them out and they will figure out their own way and that everyone will be okay is as, um, you know, really important too from that point of view of taking control of what you can control and allowing your partner to form their own habits and, and feel that their own sense of responsibility for, the topics and the activities that, that are within their mental load. Let's talk about you for a second, Robin. You're a medical doctor, you say. What kind of uh, medicine do you practice? Pediatrics. Pediatrics. You're an expert. Have you, um, you said your, your husband is, is also a doctor. Can I ask about your family? Was this something that was always in place in your family or is it something you've instituted, you know, after you had children? Yeah, I would say after we had our first daughter, so we have two children now uh, who are five and 18 months. And certainly, you know, again, because of that societal expectation and, you know, as a, as a pediatric mother, you kind of want to do everything right too. Like I probably didn't allow enough, you know, experimentation and allow my husband to have 
you know, equal capacity to take control and responsibility early on but it was also because I was the one on maternity leave and actually at the same time he was studying for his fellowship exams and his um, specialty so he was busy and and with that as well and so you're kind of making these adjustments and going along and it was really only when I returned to work and you know we were both at that point of um, having still being in our specialty training programs and so still having sort of these extra responsibilities at work to really then progress your career and I think that's very typical for people at the stage of you know having families your career is also at that early stage and so there can be a real shift then in terms of like career potential and and how your careers can progress when one person is carrying the mental load and the other person isn't just because of that difference in the amount of extra energy and time and you know brain space creativity that you that you have if you aren't thinking about the mental load compared to if you are thinking about the mental load and especially a mental load with young children if you had to cost it out do you think have you ever seen any um, statistics about the cost of that unpaid work that goes on within a household do you know how much that would be it's really hard to evaluate and actually give a figure to. It's really not being recognised at all, even in terms of the hours. So there is a graph, and actually it is in the Wife Drought book that's from the Australian Institute of Health and um, Welfare, where they've looked at kind of timeshare studies of men and women and how for a man the hours spent doing housework and childcare are really quite static mm-hmm. throughout the child's lifetime and for a woman there's sort of a huge increase when the child is born and then professional like um, paid labor drops down and then gradually sort of increases after that point in time and those sort of studies it's only been the most recent one which was done a couple of years ago that even started to address mental or invisible labor in the study so it's previously just been thinking about things like cooking and cleaning and childcare, and all of the invisible labor has not even been considered in those kind of broad population studies so I couldn't give you a figure but I would say that when you think about the imbalance in women's super or the sort of motherhood penalty when they say that women earn $2 million less against their lifetime after they have children compared to men who somehow are paid more after they have children, um, then I, some of that is obviously going to be hours worked and, and um, you know, the you know, hourly rate that, that men and women are getting paid, which obviously isn't equal even before, you know, you have children. But I think that some of it is definitely going to be the mental load and that that really hasn't been appreciated or explored from a statistical or research level yet. Robin, I'm going to let you go in a minute so you can get that hotel uh, gown on and hopefully you can watch watch something trashy on TV. Tell me you're not going to read a medical book at all. You're just going to watch something terrible. No, I think I'm just going to go out for dinner with a couple of friends. All right, well, that's good too. That's good too. I'm just going to ask you one final question. If you could give me your three secrets to living a happy life what would they be I do find meditation very helpful and that was something that actually was taught to me as an intern sort of at our start of our medical training we had a session on mindfulness and just being like this is a way that you know something you might find helpful and you know over the last what 
12 years, I haven't done it consistently that whole time. But certainly I have found found every time I have done it, and I've been doing it quite recently, um, regularly, that it has been really helpful. And I do think that there's a lot of evidence to say that meditation and mindfulness is helpful from an overall well-being and happiness point of view. That would be one. Two, well, I've got to say share the mental load. (laughs) But I think (laughs) that that goes beyond just you know, creating an, an equal society and, and you know, it goes beyond personal happiness, I think. It goes, it goes into then creating a, a happy family. Like I said, it goes into creating, like, the happy relationship but also passing on those habits and, and patterns of gender equality to our children and then working towards ultimately a more gender equal society in the long term. And that can only sort of create greater societal as well as personal happiness. And you've asked for three. So the third one I would say is nature for me has always been something that has been a source of contentment and peace and and happiness. So whether that's just a, a walk outside, but certainly if I can get either to the beach or to a forest or something for a bit of, uh, actual nature without too much uh, city involved then that has also been something that will always bring me happiness and bring me back to a sense of, of what I love and an appreciation of of how wonderful the world really is well I, I love all of them I think they're all they're all great suggestions for a happy life Robin thank you so much for your time and we'll we'll speak to you soon and, and please if you can find time in your busy schedule to get up something Christmas specific I know people would be very grateful thank you Kate it's been an absolute pleasure to talk and thank you so much for allowing me to share my work at the mental load project with your listeners as well 